Good morning. Great to see everybody this weekend. How many of you rather be in church than at any uh, town center tax-free shopping? Uh, yeah, most of us rather be here. Good, good. Good weekend. Glad you guys are here. Uh, my name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here and just excited to, to be with you. want to welcome all of you. want to welcome all of you who are joining us online uh, or at one of our campuses. I know we have Greenville and James Island, McClellanville with us this weekend, and we're glad all of you are along for the ride. It's a great week uh, here at Seacoast. We've got a lot going on. Before I jump into the message, I wanna mention a couple of things. Number one is this coming Wednesday is First Wednesday. And so uh, we always love First Wednesday. God always shows up in powerful ways. Uh, many of you are new to the church. And back in January, uh, really due to some, some health stuff going on in our own family, we decided to open up a night of prayer and healing and ask God to heal some people. And we saw God do just incredible things. And he's continued to do things like that all year long. And so our commitment to him is to continue to make room and open up opportunities and, and ask him to show up. And so this first Wednesday is another one of those moments for us where we're gonna make room for God to show up. We're calling it a healing night, believing that he wants to heal some people. And so I wanna encourage you guys to come, be a part of that, come early. Uh, it's gonna be a great night. And then the next couple of days, Thursday and Friday, we have our Global Leadership Summit I'm so excited. We've got about 125 pastors that are coming in from all over the country, both for the healing night and then also for the leadership summit. About 800 people signed up so far. A lot of people that are just get filled up and, and learn on how to be better leaders, better dads, better moms, better business leaders. And so it's gonna be a great, great couple of days. And then next weekend, we kick off a brand new series. And we haven't done a series like this in a long time. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who research and study and interview people who don't go to church and ask them various questions. And one of the questions I read about in the last couple of weeks is, if you were to go to church, what would you wanna hear them talk about? And you know what the number one answer that people that don't go to church said? This kind of surprised me, but it was, I wanna learn how to be a better dad or a better mom. Help me out with my kids. How many you know I, you could use some help with your kids? And so we're gonna do a series called Parenting Hacks. Uh, parenting Hacks, looking at ways that we can kind of help grow, help improve, and the parenting of our children. A lot of you are either grandparents or maybe you don't have children or don't have children in your home. I, I wanna encourage you, great grandparents. You know, everybody's welcome. Here's the deal. You may be tempted to take a pass on the series. The bottom line is this. Uh, in growing as parents, it's, it's about growing as people. It's about growing in Christ. It's gonna apply to all of us, so I just wanna encourage you, come. But think about who could you invite? Who would this maybe be a, a timely invitation uh, maybe you look for the people who are beating their kids at Walmart and just say, hey, well, come on, let's, let's do this, you know. Uh, but but who, could you, who could you invite to be part of this series? It's gonna be great. And uh, next week, Pastor Greg, uh, my dad, our founding pastor, is kicking off the series. And you guys know he did a phenomenal job as a parent. I mean, the kids have turned out really great. And so, uh, but, but it's, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be great. And so we're really, really looking forward to that series. Wanna encourage you guys to be a part of it. As we jump into to this week's topic, I wanna ask you a question. Have you guys ever known somebody who seemed like they had joy no matter what the circumstances they walked through? Like the kind of people that walk through really, really hard things, yet it seems like they, they keep their joy, they're, they're almost unflappable. I think about a lot of you guys when I think about people like that. We've walked with people through difficult things and so many of you embody that. I'd like to think that that's me. Uh, that I, I embody that as well. And I, I feel like I'm a guy who's always pretty happy, pretty joyful. Until about 10 days ago, my wife and some of her friends put me on a diet. Um, I was getting a little, 
a little heavy apparently, and so they put me on a diet, and I know it's not popular, to, nobody goes on diets anymore, right? It's a lifestyle change, right? Uh, well, this particular deal involves no Chick-fil-A, no Starbucks, no Krispy Kreme, no hot dogs. That's not a lifestyle change, that's not sustainable. You can't live a life without those things. So it's a diet, okay, it's a diet. And, um, and it's, it, it, yeah, whatever, it is what it is. And I'm getting ready to turn 40, need to, need to improve some things. And so we're working, working that out. About four days into it, I step on the scale. I've gained a half a pound, four days in. <laughs> you wanna talk about losing your joy. I go on a diet and gain weight. Like there is no joy in that. And so I was processing that with Lisa, frustrated. I, you know, I'm, I'm gaining weight on this diet. And she's like, don't focus on the weight. It's not all about the weight. Focus on the lifestyle, focus on all that. I'm like, there was nothing wrong with my lifestyle. We're not doing this because I didn't like my lifestyle. I like me some Jack's Cosmic Dogs. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the problem is the weight. Uh, and so if the weight's not going, I'm going back to the old lifestyle because I like that one a lot better than this new one. And, uh, but, you know, good news is we're about 10 days in. I'm down a few pounds, and I feel pretty good. So we'll keep going. And how is it gonna work out in the end? You'll know, unfortunately. I get to stand in front of you, uh, and so you'll see. You'll see how it goes. But but how many of you know, I want the kind of joy that will sustain you through even going on a diet. Like, that's the kind of joy I'm looking for. I want the kind of joy, obviously, on a much more serious note, that will sustain you through hard times, through loss, through financial hardships, through things not going your way. And this weekend, I want us to talk about, because I believe that God wants that for us. I believe if we look in his word, in fact, we're gonna continue a conversation really, that Pastor Daniel Floyd started last week. And if you missed that message, please go back and listen to it. Just such a great message. But he talked about how the Apostle Paul was trying to get to Rome. And uh, he, he was arrested. He, they end up going through the shipwreck. And then they end up stranded on an island. He gets bit by a snake. And a great, great message about God using those moments in our lives where things don't go the way we hope that they would uh, for, for his glory and for our good. So great message. I'm gonna continue that conversation this week. Uh, because Paul did, in fact, make it to Rome. Uh, he made it to Rome. He ends up in Rome for about two years. He was able to go before Caesar like he was hoping. Remember, the angel told him that he would get there. He got there. The problem is things didn't continue to not go well for him. Uh, they end up putting him in, in jail, basically on house arrest. And about two years after he got to Rome, he was beheaded by the Roman government, uh, martyred for his faith. And so after the shipwreck, after all of this hardship, this happens, and it's while he's there that he decides to write a letter to the Philippian church, and of all the things that he could talk about, I'm thinking, you got a lot of stories you could share, he decides to talk about joy. Of all the things in those circumstances, he wants to talk to the Philippian church, and I believe to Seacoast Church, about how we can live lives of joy. In fact, here's kind of his bottom line, of his letter, Philippians 4, verse 4. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Always, in all circumstances, be full of the, Lord, the joy of the Lord. And then when you're joyful, say it. That's what rejoice means, right? Say it out loud. Rejoice. Tell people about your joy. And he's like, this is what, this is what I want for you as a church. How many of you would love to be more joyful? to smile more, to enjoy life more. Yeah, I was reading a study recently that was measuring the, the amount of joy uh, based on the state that you live in, kind of which states are the happiest of the states in our union. 
Uh, any guesses on who the happiest state is? Colorado, you know what? Even after they legalize marijuana, they're still only number 19 on the list. And so Colorado's still working on it. Any, any other guesses? Okay, Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii is number one. That's right. Any of you ever been to Hawaii? Hawaii is beautiful. And, and it's like, yeah, of course they would be number one. Uh, by the way, South Carolina, let's just say, thank God for Mississippi. Okay, we're not, we're not last. But, um, but Hawaii, the most joyful state, and if you've been there, you'd go, of course they are. The views are amazing. It's awesome. Well, they self-report that their levels of, of joy, levels of happiness, and Hawaii, number one in the nation, scored themselves a 6.4 out of 10. 64% of the time are they happy, are they joyful. Now, I know everybody gets a trophy these days, participation awards. When I was growing up, 64% was failing. I don't know if it still is, but that, that's not a really great score. The best that we're doing, and we're still failing, and you know why that is? It's because in Hawaii, they still have cancer. They still have divorce. They still have hardship, and it's gonna take a whole lot more than the view from your front porch to get the kind of joy that Paul's talking about that will sustain us through difficult times, and it's very obvious that, that we struggle with this in our culture, and it's actually having some pretty interesting side effects. I've done several, uh, read several scientific researches this week, and the lack of joy that we experience in our culture today is having detrimental effects on our health, on our sleep patterns, in fact, there was one article, I tried to get Lisa to buy into this, it said joy is more important to our overall health than the food that we're eating, but she, she didn't buy into that. Um, so I feel happier when I eat certain foods. But, um, but so, so how do we reclaim our joy? How do we find joy? And just as a clarification, disclaimer, I'm not talking about happiness. They're very different, they're very similar, but there's a difference. See, happiness is the result of a situation working out the way that you want it to. And we've all experienced that from time to time. Something goes our way. You know, a tax-free weekend, that's great. You buy something, it makes you feel great. That's, that's happiness. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it's okay to be happy. But joy is a source that gets you through any situation regardless of the way that it works out. That's what we wanna figure out. How do I find that kind of joy that will get me through any circumstance that I can have regardless? It's growing in me. And, and if we're gonna do it, uh, Paul, Paul gives us kind of some, some guidelines. Philippians chapter two, he talks about some, some kill joys. Do you have anything in your life that robs you of joy? Any, anybody have? No, that's because you're sitting next to him. Don't point, just look at me, just kind of focus here. No, we do. We have things that, that, that take our joy away, right? And Paul tells us in, in Philippians chapter two, there's some things, some, some kill joys, some things that will rob you of your joy and we gotta pay attention to them. So let's jump in. If you've got an outline sheet, you can follow along. Two killjoys that have to go. Number one is living for myself. Living for myself. The Bible calls it selfish ambition. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse three, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Later he says, look out for others' interests more than your own. But don't be selfish. If we're gonna experience true joy in our lives, we're gonna have to realize that life is not about us. And maybe I'm the only one who struggles with this from time to time, but to be, to be honest with you, most of the time, I am the center of my universe, right? When I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about me. How am I feeling? What's, what's on tap today for me? And, and Paul's saying, that's not a good way to live your life, and it's not gonna produce joy. 
we, we, we have to have a, a bit of a revolution when it comes to who's at the center of our lives. You guys have heard of um, Nicholas Copernicus. You guys remember studying about him? If you, if you did science or astronomy, especially, he was an astronomer in the 15th century, and Nicholas Copernicus came along, and up until he got there, everybody believed that the universe worked in a certain way, and everybody believed that the earth was the center of the universe, that, that everything revolved around planet Earth. And Copernicus comes along and he begins to research this and study it, and he comes out with this new theory that says, hey, actually the Earth is just one of many other planets. The center of our universe, our solar system, is the sun. And it was revolutionary. It, it changed the way everybody thought about uh, our universe and about science and about all of this stuff. It changed how we understood all of that. They called it the Copernicum Revolution. Changed everything. And you know, I think especially in the church, we need to have a Copernican revolution. We need to have a, a moment where we realize life is not about us. We are not the center of the universe. That if we will orient our lives around God, if we'll place him at the center, then we'll learn that, that, that life works in certain ways. And, and it's so hard, because when we were born, listen, I was, I was one of those parents who definitely said children shouldn't be the center of your home, uh, but let's be honest, when a newborn comes into your home, they are the center of the universe for a while, right? I mean, you ain't going to Target unless it's around their nap times because they can make your life miserable. But, but that's just kind of part of what happens. We're born, we're the center, but we all need to come to a place where we realize that, that we're not the center anymore. That, that a child knows that if they run into the wall, the wall's not gonna move. Or if they run out into traffic, that traffic's not always gonna stop for them, that they are not the center of the universe, and that's what Paul is trying to help us understand, that if we're gonna experience joy, we've got to get rid of the selfish ambition. Look what James 3 and verse 16 says. It says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Did you, did you hear that? that is, that's a pretty crazy thought, but it's true that wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, when I make myself the center of the universe, that, that following that will be disorder. Some versions say confusion. Maybe there's some parts of your life that feel like they're not working right, they're, they're disorderly, or they're, 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 you're confused, they're out of order. It could be because of selfish ambition. Then it also says that evil of every kind. It's almost like selfish ambition is a gateway sin that will open us up to all kinds of evil in our lives. He says you gotta, it's gonna rob you of your joy. If, if you're constantly filtering things through you as the center, it's going to rob you of joy. I wonder if any of us have areas of our lives that we've been making it more about us than it needs to be. Just to be vulnerable with you, uh, when we first started talking about building this building that we're in right now, probably four or five years ago, of course we were full at capacity and and we, 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 we knew we needed to do something. We decided to, to build this building and the trustees and the church, you guys all got on board. And uh, we also happened to be during a time of transition where Pastor Greg, who is the one that most of us kind of followed, uh, signed up for, like we love this church because we love following God through him and the way he sees things. And I'm definitely one of those that would, would consider myself in that category. Uh, well, we're, in, we're kind of in the middle of this transition where he's transitioning the church to, to the next generation. And as one of those people in the next generation that, that, that's in it, I began to really get overwhelmed with, with the idea of building this building. Well, what if, I mean, what if it doesn't work the same? And uh, you know, I know how 
It happens for most coaches that follow the legendary coaches, right? It's otherwise known as an interim coach. Like they, don't, they don't last very long. And, and just having these thoughts of, man, what, what happens if we move into this building and, and people stop coming and people stop caring and, and they don't wanna follow me and our generation and all of these thoughts and it created confusion, it created fear, it created anxiety. And through some wise counsel and then really the spirit of God speaking to me, it's like, hey dude, it's never been about you. <laughs> like, this church has never been about you. It's never been about your dad. If you'll keep me, Jesus, at the center of this church and make decisions based on where I'm leading us and what I'm doing, then, then the church is gonna be fine. But the minute you make it about you, bro, it's already way over your head, okay? Like, it's already way beyond. And it was such a freeing thought, though, that, man, I don't have to carry this thing. I don't have to carry my family, I, I do my part, we all have significant parts to play, but if we're orbiting around Jesus and his will, that, 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 that that's where joy is, that's where life is. So, so what about you? Where have you been making life a little bit more about yourself than it needs to be? It will rob you of your joy, it's a killjoy. Living for myself, selfish ambition. Second thought that he gives us, second killjoy, is living for the applause living for the applause, which is otherwise known as pride. Pride. Philippians 2, verse three continues. He says, don't try to impress others. Don't try to impress others. Have any of you ever tried to impress others? Come on, let's just be, be honest, we're in church. It's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting trying to wear a mask or to put up a facade. Living to impress other people, it will steal and rob the joy in our lives. We know that where there's pride, there's destruction, there's strife. We know that God opposes the proud. Interesting thought as I was thinking about this message, pride and selfish ambition. Those are the two things that got Satan kicked out of heaven. If you go back and read Isaiah, pride and selfish ambition, they're also the two things that'll keep heaven out of us. Keep us from living heaven on earth is when, we, when we're prideful and when we're selfish. It'll, it'll destroy us. It'll destroy us. Look at 1 Peter 5, 5. Very well-known verse. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That word opposes literally means he stands against. Have you ever thought of that? Like God's standing against you? You know, I know football season's coming up. Anybody ready for football? You guys excited for, all right, good. Me too, me too. And so I thought I'd give a little football illustration to help us understand this passage. Danelle Miller, a friend of mine, uh, is gonna come up and uh, would you guys welcome Danelle uh, to the platform? <laughs> Danelle, he's, he's been a part of our church for a long time, uh, attends up at the Dream Center. He and I are workout partners, obviously. We, we do the gym, do a lot of the same stuff. And so, um, but thanks, thanks for being here. You had to wear your Cowboys jersey, huh? Uh, so... Um, he thinks they should feed, feed Zeke, but we were talking last night, what's your, your deadlift right now is around Six. 600 pounds, yeah, and so if you ever have a house fall on you, Danelle's gonna be a guy you wanna, <laughs> you wanna have it in your corner, but, but for the sake of this illustration, let's, let's talk football for a minute. Let's, let's say Danelle is God, because he's you know, about as big as him, and the uh, big, biggest friend that I have, and, and uh, we determine our attitude, whether we have pride or not, determines what role God plays in our lives, and if I'm a quarterback or I'm a running back and I've got the ball, God plays one of two roles in our lives. If I'm prideful, 
then God plays the role of a linebacker. And so I'm trying to live my life. I'm trying to get past. And I'm, you know, he played knows it. We're stopping this illustration right here. We're not taking it any further. But, but, but how many of you have ever felt that you're living your life that way? You're, you're, it's all about you. You're trying to make stuff happen. You're trying to open doors and you feel like you're banging in to something. And sometimes, according to that verse, it's because God is standing in the way of us. Is that because he's insecure, because he's afraid? No, it's because he knows what's best for us. He knows that life works better when we orient our lives around him that will experience joy. And so if I'm prideful, that's what I'm facing. I'm, I'm, God is opposing the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so when I take on an attitude of humility, humble myself, then, then God kind of t- plays a different role. He's an offensive lineman. And where I'm going, he's clearing out the pathway, right? Like I'm right behind him, he's making space, and it works. Life works a lot better that way. Thank you, Danelle, you rock. Um, But isn't it true that sometimes we're living our lives and we're facing resistance, and it's not the enemy, it's that we've made it about us. And and clearly, the illustration does break down because God is not our offensive lineman and we're the quarterback, right? God is the coach, God is drawing up plays, God has got a plan and a purpose for our lives and if we will orient our lives around him, not only will he call the right plays for us, but he will open up doors that we can't open up on our own and he will make things happen that we can't make happen on our own. I was thinking about this principle and and pride even as it relates to the healing service that we're getting ready to have. I was reminded of this guy from the Old Testament, his name is Naaman, it's a story, it's not super well known, Uh, it's in 2 Kings chapter five, I don't have the, passage in your outline sheet, but it's a fascinating story. This guy, Naaman, he's a, a, a commander, a, a military officer uh, for the, the, the nation of Aram. He's not an Israelite. And he's a very well-known guy, well-respected, wealthy guy. And he comes down with a disease called leprosy, which is honestly so much more than a disease. It's, it's, not only is it a, a terminal illness, it's, it's ultimately gonna take his life, but it, it ostracizes you from the rest of your community. They end up kind of putting you by yourself. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible disease. And, and so Aram, this, this wealthy guy, gets this disease and, and a friend of his, actually a servant who, who is a Jewish girl, tells him, hey, there's a prophet named Elisha who knows how to heal. You should go see him. And so Naaman gets a letter from his king and he goes on this journey to meet this prophet. And the Bible says that as he goes, he brings a letter A letter from the king, that's a pretty big deal, right? It's like having a letter from the president or from your senator saying, hey, this person is valuable, this person, please please heal him. And he also brings with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 elaborate outfits, 10 separate wardrobes that he brings with him. In other words, he's showing up wanting people to know he is a man of means, he's a man of power, he's a man of influence. I don't know how to to do all the math on what that it would equate to, but just the 750 pounds of silver, the town that he went to was purchased for two pounds of silver. So like he's coming with a lot of money. A guy told me he did the math earlier that it was about three and a half million dollars in today's dollars that he was bringing to this, this healing service. And essentially what he's saying is, hey, you know, I, I can do things for you. If you'll heal me, I can, I can make things happen for you. And so he goes to Elisha's home And the Bible says that Elisha doesn't even come out himself. He sends out one of his messengers and he says, hey, uh, I'm coming on behalf of Elisha. If you'll go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be healed. And Naaman is offended. 
He's angry. You don't see any joy in him because he's like, what, he even says it. He says, I would have thought at least he would have come out to see me. At least he would have come out and shown his face. Was Elisha being mean? No, I think, he, I think God wanted him to learn a lesson and, and show him a story or teach him, teach him a lesson about his humility. And Naaman says, listen, where I'm from, the, the rivers are way cleaner and way nicer than the Jordan River. And if you've ever been to Israel, we're going in the fall. Got a couple spots left, by the way. I'd love for you guys to join us. But you'll learn that the Jordan River is kind of nasty. It's not the cleanest river out there. And, and so this guy's like, why would I get in the Jordan River? I've got all of these great rivers where I'm from. And he begins to walk away and leave his miracle not to be experienced. One of his servants kind of spoke to him and said, Naaman, you've come all this way. If he'd asked you to do something really hard, you would do it. Like, why don't you just, why don't you just do it? And so Naaman finally agrees and he goes to the Jordan River. And this is what I want you to notice. He washes seven times in the Jordan River, but in order to get into the river, what does he have to do? He has to take off those expensive clothes. He has to take off the thing that's been covering up his disease. Maybe for the first time, some of the people who are around him really saw how bad that disease was, how much it was ravaging his body. So he's got to get fully vulnerable and transparent. No gold, no silver, no wardrobe's gonna cover what he's dealing with. And it was in that moment when he humbled himself, said, this is where I'm at, this is reality for me, that God healed him and he experienced a miracle. Where, where, where do you need to just get vulnerable and humble before God? You know, it's gonna be hard for, for him to fix that marriage if, if you're not willing to acknowledge that there's an issue. If, if we're still pretending like everything's okay. It's gonna be hard to see him work a miracle in our finances when we're continuing to act like it's all fine. Even as we come to the healing night, let's just come in humility. God, this is what's going on. These are the needs that I'm coming with. I'm not gonna act like I'm better than I am. I'm gonna go, God, I need, I need to access a power that is much greater than me. And I wanna orient my life around you. And if we do that, we'll experience a true joy. We've got to be Humble. So, humility, selfish ambition. Two, killjoys. Where are you dealing with some of that? We all are, to some degree or another. Like, this is a church where you don't have to pretend like you've got it all together. We're all dealing with it. Let's just be honest before God today. As we respond here in a few moments to go, God, I wanna, I wanna rid myself of pride. I wanna rid myself of selfish ambition. I know you, and I know that if somebody was stealing something from you, they were robbing you, they were getting, stealing stuff out of your garage or whatever it was. You would get security cameras, you would find a way to, to tighten up your security, you would stop it from happening. And for some of us, the enemy has been robbing us of joy. And let's just go, not anymore. You know, we're not gonna let him do it anymore. And the antidote is very simple. Instead, be humble. We've already talked about it, be humble. Philippians two, verse three, he finishes, he says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Be humble. Okay, pastor, that sounds great. How do, how do I do that? What does that look like in my life? Well, look at verse five. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Thankfully, Jesus came and he showed us what it looks like to be humble. And really, for me, it's all about uh, how you walk into a room. Have you ever thought about that? How do you walk into a room? You either walk into a room one of two ways. One is, uh, you know, I've arrived. Look who's here. You know, I, I, I'm here. Or one is you walk into a room and you go, oh, there you are. I, I, know, I notice you. Find ways to add value to the people around us. 
I love it. Somebody said this to me earlier. Jesus walked into a room one of two ways. He walked through a wall one time, but more times than not, he walked through a door, just like everybody else. And that's what this passage talks about. Couple of thoughts that we can learn about humility, and I'll go through these pretty quickly. Number one, I don't demand what I think I deserve. If I'm gonna walk in humility, I'm not gonna demand what I think I deserve. Look at verse six and seven. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Jesus didn't walk into a room and expect everybody to stand up. Jesus didn't walk into a room going, hey, I'm God, treat me that way. He stripped himself of that. He didn't demand to be treated in the way that he deserved to be treated. That's humility. Are, are there areas of your life where you're demanding that people treat you with respect? You're, you're trying to fight for that, and Jesus is like, no, don't. Just lay it down. Don't demand what you think you deserve. I wonder how often I parent that way. Yes, I wanna teach my kids to respect their authorities, of course, and that, that's important, but man, how often is it more about our own ego and wanting to be treated in a certain way? So I don't demand what I think I deserve. Secondly, I empty out so that I can be filled up. I empty out so I can be filled up. Philippians 2, verse seven. says, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That's what Jesus did. He came, he took the humble position of a slave. That is so counter to the culture that we live in today, isn't it? Like today, the measure of how important you are really is how many people work for you, how many people serve you, how many people do you have serving you? That's a measure of how important you are, and Jesus says no. Actually, you wanna know how important you are? How many people do you serve? How many people do you take care of? He turns the whole thing upside down. Jesus says that, that the greatest among us would be the servant of all. That God's way up for us is actually down. To the point that he gets down on his knees and, and washes his disciples' feet after a long day of ministry. Have you ever thought about how gross that is? Like, I'm just not a big foot person, you know? Like, I don't like touching people's feet. I love my wife. She's got better looking feet than all the rest of you. I don't even like touching her feet that much. It's just, you know, feet are kind of, you know, and, and Jesus, like God. Not only did he become a person, but he got down and he, and he washed his disciples' feet. He emptied himself out. He served others so that he could be filled up. Would you be willing to ask God to show you opportunities to do that this week? God, show me opportunities to empty myself out. It's not that difficult. It could be as simple as picking up a piece of trash that, that nobody's gonna notice that you do or returning your shopping cart to the, to the front of the, the, the store instead of leaving it in the parking lot so it can hit my car while I'm shopping. Thank you. You know, I think about our dream team. There's so many of you that serve on our dream team and, and you show up every weekend and you're showing up to empty yourself out. You're not coming to church going, man, I, I hope I get something out of it today. I hope the message speaks to me. I'm sure we all have those thoughts from time to time, but your joy as you come to church is seeing other people encounter God. And when you see people have that encounter with God, these moments, it gives you joy because you came emptying yourself out. And some of you, maybe that's gonna be a step for you. Join the dream team. Be a part of this family. Find your joy by emptying yourself out, giving up of your time, serving others. Jesus emptied himself out so that he could be filled up. I heard this story recently about Dan Cathy, who's the CEO of Chick-fil-A, closed Sunday, sorry. Um, 
love to go eat there. I'm not allowed to either way, but if I can't, you can't. So, <clears throat> but, but Dan Cathy and Rick Warren are hanging out. Rick Warren, author of Purpose Driven Life, just an incredible leader, incredible Christian leader, pastor. And they, they went into one of the Chick-fil-A's that was being built and Dan Cathy was showing Rick Warren around and it was about lunchtime and they had to go get some lunch and so they went to a restaurant nearby. It was actually a Taco Bell nearby, which just makes me laugh. Think about Dan Cathy and Rick Warren going to Taco Bell, uh, which is just funny. But so they're, they're eating at Taco Bell and, um, and they go to the restroom and Dan Cathy, CEO of Chick-fil-A, best performing fast food restaurant in, in the country by far. And he takes a bunch of paper towels and he begins to clean off the countertops because there was water all over the countertops. And Rick Warren's like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you cleaning these countertops? And, and Dan Cathy tells him, you know what? We have a value at Chick-fil-A that you always leave things better than you found them. And it doesn't matter where you are or what that context is. I'm like, what a powerful picture of a CEO in a moment that he probably thought nobody would ever see washing off a countertop because that's what, that's what you do. That's what following Christ is, that's humility. So I empty myself so I can be filled up. Third thing that Jesus did, I do what's right even when it hurts. Look at Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. A criminal's death on the cross. That's what Jesus did for us. And I love Hebrews talks about, gives us a little insight. Was it joyful for him to go to the cross? No, no, but here's what it does say. Because of the joy awaiting for him. That's why he endured the, car, the cross. Because of the joy awaiting him. What was that joy? Setting us free from our sin. <laughs> Dying for us, knowing that, that we could be connected and have relationship with God. That brought him joy. And he did the hardest of hard things so that we could experience freedom. That's humility. That's what it looks like. And look at, what, look at the principle that played out in his life. When he did this, Philippians 2, 9, it says, therefore, in other words, because of that, not demanding what he deserved, emptying himself out, going to the cross, that's when you hear that God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, we read that verse and it's like, yeah, we've heard yeah, every knee bows and every tongue confesses. His name is above every other name. It was after he humbled himself. It was after he stripped himself of divinity and became one of us and died for us that God elevated him and lifted him up. And you know, the same principle is true in our lives as well. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. It's a paradox. You wanna be honored? Humble yourself. That's in God's economy, that's how it works. Take ourselves out of the center of the universe, humble ourselves, and we'll experience a joy that will endure any circumstance. Close with this story, uh, just a few weeks ago, we went to Colorado as a family, and uh, I preached for Ernest Smith, uh, Front Range Church, and I was actually preaching a, a similar message, similar theme. It's kind of been a word that God's given me this summer. And so we're flying out there. We house swapped and car swapped, and so it was awesome. Made it a pretty cheap vacation. We uh, drove his car. He came out here and drove ours. And, um, and so we're, we're flying out there, and I knew it was, it was Monday or Tuesday, and I knew I was preaching that weekend, and I wanted to be fully engaged with my kids and my family while I was there. So I told them on the flight out there, I need to finish this message. 
Uh, so this flight, Daddy's gonna put some headphones on. I'm gonna work on my message so that I can play and have fun with you guys the whole time we're there. And uh, so I was sitting on a row with my two daughters, Ellie and Greta Kate. It was like, you guys got it? We all good to go? Plans? Okay, we're on. And so we take off. I put my headphones on. I pop open the computer. And probably within about 20 seconds, it might have been 30, I'm typing. All of a sudden, I hear, Daddy, Daddy, which I had noise-canceling headphones, which means the whole plane had already heard them yelling, Daddy. And I'm like, uh, okay, what's up? And it's my daughter, my Ellie, who's five at the time. And she's like, Daddy, look at the clouds. We're flying through the clouds. Isn't this awesome? And I'm like, yeah, that's cute. Awesome. Look at the clouds. Daddy's going to work on my message. Put it back on, typing. 30 seconds later, Daddy, Daddy, what's going on? Will you play with me? I can't play with you right now. Then as it progressed, probably 20, 30 minutes later, it's now, Daddy, she touched me. Daddy, she's taking my stuff. They're fighting. I'm like, oh, and I'm getting so frustrated. Like I'm writing a message on joy and I'm about to hit somebody. <laughs> like you think, you think she touched you. Wait till I touch you, you know? And it's like people are around and I'm, ah, oh, so angry. I don't know if you can relate to that. Just, uh, and so, and I felt like God spoke to me. And he said, Josh, you've made this flight all about you. You're at the center of, of the universe. And it was like, oh, I am. Here I have this opportunity. My kids who have barely flown ever in their life experienced one of their first flights. All the joy seeing that flight through the lens of a child. And I'm so focused on me and what I need to get done that I'm, I'm being robbed of that joy. And I'm frustrated and I'm angry. And so I shut the computer down. I said, you know what, if the message stinks, the message stinks. Uh, I worked on it more for you guys, but for Front Range, if it stinks, it stinks. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make this flight about them. I'm gonna make this flight about experiencing it through their eyes. And you know what, we had the time of our life. We had a blast. We played games, we saw shapes in the clouds, and I saw and experienced joy in a powerful way that I was being robbed of because I had made it about me. How often do we do that, y'all? How often do we do that? So let's be people of joy. I wanna be a person of joy. Are you guys with me? You guys wanna be people of joy? And, and let's be people of joy and let's spread joy all across our community. We already talked about how desperately the world needs it. How desperately they need it. If we can learn to live this way, humble ourselves, I believe we can see joy spread through our church and through our community in powerful, powerful ways. Would you guys pray with me as we close? God, I thank you. I thank you for your ways. God, your ways of loving us, your ways of leading us are so good. They're so different, but they're so good. And God, I thank you, Lord, that in your economy, the key to experiencing joy is humility. It's emptying ourselves of pride, emptying ourselves of selfishness. So would you help us in this, God? We wanna get this right. We wanna do this well. We wanna carry joy that would sustain us through any circumstance. So I just pray for me, for all of us, that you would help us highlight areas of our lives that we need to humble ourselves, lay down our pride, help us to serve others well, lift people up, so that when people see us, they'll see you, and they'll experience joy. God, we love you. Pray that you would lead us in this response time, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.